back to another edition of Book Around with me, Dominic Goulding. Today we are kicking off spooky season with a Korean sort of thriller horror, The Hole, by He Young Pyun. Um, it's been compared to Misery by Stephen King. We'll get into if we think that comparison's fur or not as we go, but it's certainly a creepy book, certainly one that is going to get under your skin. So join me and let's get into it and find out what's so spooky about all this stuff. Okay folks, so this book starts with a focus on our protagonist, Oki, and he has just woken up in hospital after an accident which he doesn't have a huge recollection of and he doesn't really remember a lot of what's brought him up to this point. The first chapter of the book largely just deals with him coming to terms with and understanding the fact that he is in a hospital. It all seems a little bit strange and alien. He is adjusting to the sights and the smells. Um, we are given the impression pretty much straight away that he is um, paralysed uh, and, and kind of unresponsive. He can't really move or communicate. He can just see and sense things. Um, so a lot of what we experience in the first chapter is just him seeing and hearing and smelling things. Um, he, we get the impression very much that his wife is, is dead and there's been some sort of a crash uh, and he believes he can smell his wife's perfume in the room at one point. Um, not too much of a spoiler at all because it happens in the first chapter. But So it seems like a strange hospital. He doesn't like the way the doctors and nurses treat him. He finds them very disingenuous and overbearing. And the chapter ends with him looking up at the ceiling and his dead wife is staring down at him. So that's how this one kicks off. That's how this sets the tone for us. Um, now, I will level with, with the listener, uh, with you, straight away, um, that I had very high expectations going into this one. It's no secret that my favorite kind of countries, if you like, for horror are Japan and Korea. Um, this is true of films uh, and of books and also I guess video games if we're counting that Silent Hill is Japanese um, but I love the um, sort of creepy psychological bent that they tend to take in those cultures um, we see that a lot more in my opinion in, in Eastern writing than we do in Western writing today older Western writing, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe had a had a slower pace and a more of a psychological aspect to it, but a lot of modern stuff tends to focus on uh, shock value or trying to be overly clever in some way, and, and sometimes I just feel that falls flat. So I always feel like I've got high hopes with uh, Japan or Korea. Today we are in Korea, so I'll dedicate this episode to my auntie Stacy because she's Korean. Um, albeit I don't think she'd like the book because it would be too scary, <laughs> but um, it is it is great, and let's let's talk about why. So we've started off with that very strange, surreal feeling. We've got a character in hospital, and straight away we've got this vulnerability. We've got this, he can't move, he can't even communicate. He communicates by blinking, and so we can already feel that kind of powerlessness that, that Oki is experiencing. We feel a lot of sympathy for him, and it, it's quite scary that he's in that situation especially when he's having what we assume is maybe a hallucination about his dead wife. We're not sure. It's, it's unclear. The rest of the story is told um, interchangeably through flashbacks and cutting back to what's happening in the present. So 
we start to piece together the puzzle of what happened uh, as Oki starts to remember more of his his life with his wife, uh, his mother-in-law, his father-in-law. Uh, we cut back to present day with his doctor and his um, physical, um, I can't remember if it's physical trainer or physical, the, the person that um, rehabilitates and gets people moving when they've had accidents. I, my, my mind's gone blank. I should have had my notes in front of me, but I thought I'd be able to do this off memory. Um, but yeah, in so in the present with his team of medical staff looking after him, basically, and his mother-in-law. Um, and we see in the flashbacks in the past, we see his wife, his mother-in-law, his father-in-law, and his friends who are just referred to by letters like M, K, L, J, which is really strange. So this is the first sign we get i suppose that we've been feeling very sorry for oki because he's in a horrible situation but we get the impression he's a bit of a cold arrogant man it's a, a bit of a classic writing technique if you ever want to write a novel and make sure that you know a character is arrogant have them refer to all of the other characters not by name but just in relation to themselves oki's wife oki's mother-in-law oki's father-in-law these people are not getting real names. They're, they're only being identified as extensions of the protagonist, which suggests to us that that's the way he thinks about them. He's the center of the universe, and people are only important by how they extend from him. Now, I've made him sound like a monster there, and he isn't. He's a complicated character. There are views that he holds that are very relatable, understandable, the reviews that he holds that are quite gauche and quite um, unappealing and, and arrogant and rude. He's a mixed bag, um, is, is in short. So he doesn't necessarily deserve our 100% sympathy, but nor does he deserve the suffering that he endures in this book because it gets extremely uncomfortable at times. Not to give away the entire plot of the book, of course, but we learn that his relationship with his wife and his wife's family has always been quite strained, really. We never really see any huge moments of tenderness there. Um, he kind of suffers with imposter syndrome, Ogi. So he's he's a, a lecturer on topography. Um, no, sorry, cartography. He wanted to do topography, does cartography. So maps, so like a field of, of geography. He, he's a map studier and he lectures about maps. But he feels like a fraud because he feels like that's not really a valid um, line of work and his kind of colleagues and friends give him the same impression and his dad thought he was a waste of space and his, his father-in-law doesn't think much better of him. So there's, there's this uh, underlying theme in the book about reputations and how we are perceived by other people and um, I think one of the main messages is, is to kind of let that go. Um, hanging, getting hung up on what other people think of you is only ever going to be destructive. Um, I think that's one of the main things that we see through Oki's kind of constant um, attempts to do what society thinks he should do. And, and we see that with his, with his wife as well, to a degree. She flips and changes between different hobbies and things like that and struggles to settle on one thing. They're quite different in that he's happy to plod along in a line of work that he's not particularly passionate about. But she constantly fights and struggles to find something that she can really get stuck into, which ultimately ends up being the garden of the house that they buy together. Now, the garden becomes a big piece of symbolism in the plot. 
Uh, she tends it and she puts an awful lot of work into it. And Oki doesn't seem to really understand it. And at some point he says to her, why don't you find something different to do? Uh, which seems a bit mean because she's obviously enjoying herself doing the gardening. Um, but that garden therefore becomes kind of symbolic of what his wife contributed to the relationship and to the house. That there's this blooming, beautiful garden. Um, to show that she's trying to lay sort of steady foundations and all of that kind of thing. Um, without wanting to give anything major away, I'll say that that garden starts to be dug up towards the end of the novel, and that's obviously symbolic of kind of a destruction of his wife's memory or um, having that being ripped away from him. Back to what happens with Oki then. Um, he is um, kind of heavily disabled throughout the the majority of the novel we do get to see sparks of him getting some little bits of mobility back and a some semblance of speech but you know we know he's not going to be running any marathons anytime soon because he's had a really bad accident he's had to have skin grafts and everything like that his mother-in-law ends up becoming his primary curer um and that becomes quite menacing um we see this all through Oki's perspective so we never really follow her and find out what she's up to but we experience that paranoia and that sense of powerlessness from Oki being lay in a dark room in his own house when they send him home and he can just hear his mother-in-law pottering about up to stuff and he's worrying what it is and occasionally She'll just barge in the room, like in the middle of the night unannounced and start doing weird stuff like cutting all his hair off and just kind of really psychologically tormenting him. And it, it's really, really uncomfortable read. It really gets under your skin at times. Um, there are parts of it where you think, you know, the best guy in the world, so should we really feel sorry for him? Mm, yeah, because I wouldn't wish this treatment on anybody. It gets really dark. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, I knew I was getting into a, a horror book, so I wasn't surprised at that, but it's dark in that kind of way that I tend to find only really appears in, um, really good psychological horror through like mainly through, through Eastern literature tends, tends to be really good at that. Um, this kind of weird disconnect between society and how kind of banal and normal everything appears and how quickly things can become dark or there can be kind of suffering bubbling under the the surface of, of a relatively otherwise normal situation um it, yeah it's it's deeply unsettling uh, i wouldn't recommend reading this one if you don't have um kind of nerves of steel because i am not normally uh in any way concerned with horror really uh, in terms of I don't often find myself coming away and, and having anything stay with me but I finished this one and for the rest of the day I, I felt a little bit on edge and a little bit uneasy thinking about some of the scenes in the book so it is quite a challenging read but a very rewarding read and it's very interesting and insightful to get inside Oki's head and, and see some of his opinions because it's the kind of revelations around his personality are masterful, really. Um, at the start of the book, certainly in the early parts, he does seem very sympathetic, um, and the views that he states we can really relate to. He talks about how his dad's like this 
sort of ultra self-obsessed capitalist maniac and how he kind of doesn't want to turn out like that and, and we can relate to that and there's, there's this great um a passage that, that i wish i'd written down so i could read it but it's it's something along the lines of him saying about how people kind of struggle all their lives to have this reputation have all these possessions and all these things when in fact you know you can get by and you can be happy with a lot less which is very true um also one of the bits that really struck me as, as something relatable and interesting um just as a as a novel uh note really was that one of the things that O'Keefe specifically mentions that annoys him is that he gives money specifically to uh unicef he won't give money to individuals um but he will give to non-profit organizations that he thinks are doing good work. So like UNICEF doing the humane work in Africa and things like that. And he says how annoying he finds it when um, he hears something on the news about embezzlement that uh, a member of that charity organization has been caught up in corruption because he thinks, well, I've given a lot of money and that's all gone to waste. Uh, and he, he kind of reflects on the fruitlessness of indirect charity that as in like unless you literally fly out to a developing country and go building houses for them you don't know that you're making a difference you could be sending money off every month and you don't know that's getting to the people you want it to which is true um and it's something that i've thought about a lot as well but equally um what's the alternative because you know if we were all to give up our jobs and go and fly over and try and help other people then then we'd we'd end up in poverty as well because we wouldn't be making a living so it's a difficult balancing act and you get a lot of this where he presents an interesting problem not necessarily a solution but makes you think and the um the book takes that form as well in that some of the bits of symbolism and the clues that we get are never fully explained the book does not resolve in a way where you get all the answers and i like that as well for horror i don't like a neatly tied up ending i like some symbolism and some sinister imagery that i need to reflect on and think about for myself and this book has that in spades so i won't tell you any more about the plot because it will spoil it just read it for yourself but i will tell you some of the things that i liked about it um number one i liked the character of oki even though he does some pretty heartless things he's just a good protagonist especially for this kind of novel for a horror you want a flawed protagonist you don't want a peter perfect you want somebody that has some skeletons in the closet because that's what makes a good psychological horror is watching somebody kind of almost unravel because of the dark past that they've got and we do see that in this book to a degree um the scenes particularly the scenes with the mother-in-law um were, were very disconcerting because she is very very cruel and heartless towards Oki and we learn about her motivations for that but nonetheless it doesn't make us think any think it's any more justified it's really uncomfortable to read um but the atmosphere was incredible there's this constant oppressive dark atmosphere where occasionally in a flashback you'll feel comfortable because he'll describe a scene like a house party or something that we think of as relatively normal and banal but with every single scene there is an underlying current of of nastiness um, there's some uncomfortableness to be gleaned from pretty much every scene. So it's a book that never lets up, it never lets you rest. Um, but as I say, that's part of its charm, is that I found this one difficult to put down because I wanted to know what was going to happen next. Um, it 
kept me gripped because there's so much loose symbolism and random little clues and things like that dropped in occasionally in the background of scenes and you find yourself doing a little bit of Sherlock Holmes trying to work out what's going to come next with these these clues and things so I really enjoyed um, reading this and thinking about this could I recommend it yeah absolutely solid eight out of ten I've read better horror novels but I've read many many worse ones and this uh, as far as a kind of a first horror novel to do on this channel this one does a good job of um, showcasing a lot of the tropes that I like from Korean horror, that being kind of a persistently dark, uh, subtle psychological atmosphere, um, kind of loose, vague, interpretive imagery, all of that kind of stuff it's got in spades, and it, it's it's really masterfully written, so I will um, go on and, and probably check out more work by the author, and certainly check out more Korean uh, books on the channel. I've got a couple that uh, I want to read the, probably The Vegetarians, the next one that I'll have a look at. Um, but not this season, because I'm eager to not revisit the same country in one season. So I started off this season with Nigeria, doing Things Fall Apart. And I'd love to jump back to Nigeria, because I've got a bunch of Nigerian novels that are great. But I don't just want this to be the Nigeria podcast, it's the Book Around podcast. I'm trying to hop around all over the world and showcase things from different cultures. That's the point of it, is to get us all out of our potential roots of, of reading the same Western stuff, or you know, if you have a particular niche, like I really like reading a lot of Japanese stuff, to get me out of doing that and to look at other cultures and other countries. So um, next week, we're going to be heading over to Iran to do a classic Iranian horror story, and that will be our kind of definitive Halloween episode. Um, but yeah, that's probably everything from me. All that remains to say really is uh, thank you very much for listening wherever you are. I hope you have a lovely day. Please do consider leaving a review. Every little helps or just share, spread the word, tell a friend to listen. Again, I am just doing this to spread the good word about literature around the world. Um, so the more people that listen, in my opinion, the better because it would be lovely if people checked out these books. That's that's all I want really. I'm just a just someone trying to spread the good word. Um, now I will go over to me again, doing the outro. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Book Around, please consider following me on social media. You can find me on Instagram at Book Around Podcast, on Twitter at Book Around Pod, and on Facebook book around podcast again uh, you can also get in touch with me book around at outlook.com uh, if you would like to drop me an email you can tell me i'm doing a good job or tell me i'm doing a rubbish job and ways to improve or you can uh, tell me books you might want to see from certain cultures or certain countries you want to see represented just any feedback is is always very welcome i'm still very new to podcasting so anything like that would be great um, again thank you very much for listening and next week we'll be doing Iran, uh, and until then, book around and find out.